Good evening. Welcome to Four Dose Productions. Tonight is going to be Milkshake Monday, episode 214, Two Kings in a Cave, Blind Faith. Before we start, I have a couple of administrative announcements. First, this Saturday, October 29th, there will be a memorial for William Dallas Helm for the Let's Get Connected Homeless event. It's going to be at the Reston Community Center, Hunters Woods uh, in Reston, Virginia. That's 2310 Colts Neck Drive, Reston, Virginia. So or if you are in need or you're homeless or you're struggling, we welcome you to come. Thank you for all of those who have donated and shared with us all the blessings so that we can help others who are in need. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of our heart from Resurrection Baptist Church and the Helm family. We'll be there and we'd love to see anyone in need. If you're homeless or you're struggling, you are welcome to come. Second, I am doing something on behalf of the company where those of you from now until October 31st, 2022, actually subscribe to the mailing list on my website, and that's www.4dose, that's 4-D-O-E-S, production, P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N, dot org, O-R-G. From now until October 31st, those who sign up on my mailing list, Last Friday, many of you saw that I did overcoming failure for the bridge ministry at Fort Foot in Maryland. And I am going to release to those on my mailing list next week, the excerpt of 27 minutes of that session. I know I, I would encourage all of you to sign up on this mailing list because in the future, when I do certain, certain new content, I plan to share it with my those of you on the mailing list and the next one up that I plan to do and am working on it is for marriage in the checkout line, the Isle of singleness. And for those of you who are single, I plan to do a video and I may have a partner for that, or I may do it by myself, but I'm getting ready to do something for the Isle of singleness. And I'm going to release it first uh, for those on my mailing list. And then as I present different places, of course, they will see it. But for those of you who would like to have access, please go to my mailing list and sign up for my mailing list on my www.4doseproduction.org. And I think that'll be a blessing. Now to start the teaching tonight, I want to tell you about a story. I have so many stories that happen at this gym where I go to work out in the pool. I come in and I dress for my workout. And before I go, I pass young children. There's some after school program. And usually these children are either dressed for the pool or they're just getting redressed to go back into their session for their playland, whatever they're doing. Well, the actual staff member had them all lined up and she called out for one little girl. And I didn't see the little girl. So I went on to get ready to go. And I happened to go into the restroom and I heard the lady yell out again. Well, this small voice says, don't rush the process. And I realized this young girl is in the bathroom. <laughs> and I wish you could have heard her say what she said. And I heard it and I came back out and I said, um, the little girl in there just said while she's in the stall, she said, don't rush the process. <laughs> I just cracked up and I went out into the pool area and I had to tell three strangers what happened because I got so tickled. I said, this child has either, and she sounded like she was only like, maybe she was six or seven years old. Either she's heard grandmom or granddad or mom or dad or somebody say this while they've been in 
tall. But I said, these children, they pick up so much. And it made me think, I said, Lord, I've got to remember this when it comes to this teaching, because a lot of times in our spiritual walk with the Lord, we want to rush the process. And there are things that God will not rush for us. And especially when he wants us to have faith in his word and faith in all the promises and the principles that he have regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just said, okay, little girl, I have heard you. I said, that was so cute. Now tonight we're going to talk about faith. And the reason why I said blind faith is because I had happened to listen to a teaching and the gentleman was teaching and talking about those men and women who are blind and how they always see most of the times, even with their eyes open, they have this blackness or darkness and they can't see. And maybe they can feel the sun and sense some kind of difference in the the darkness, but no more times than not, they are always seeing darkness. And I got me to thinking how sometimes in our walk of faith, we also cannot see even with our eyes open. So tonight you're going to hear these words throughout the time frame seeing, vision, sight, blindness, all kinds of things related to vision. And I want you to have this understanding that there are times in your walk with the Lord that even though you think you are super spiritual, you think that you can see what God is doing. We have to understand just like the experience in Job one or different areas in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are things that God and the men and women of God are seeing and being told by the Lord that other people that it's coming and unfolding, they don't know it's happening, but God does. And so you kind of have to still walk in faith, even when your eyes don't see. And so I'm going to start the scriptures off first with the scripture of Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I'm going to focus tonight on that element of not seen. There are things that we in our Christian walk are hoping for that God knows we're hoping for. We even know that we're hoping for, but over time, I put this word in my teaching tonight time and trust. Christianity and faith requires you understanding that God has his timing, but we have to trust him. Even though the things we're hoping for, we don't see them right away or in our timing. It's all in God's perfect timing. So keep that in mind, the evidence of things not seen. So the first example I'm taking us to is a situation where there's a person that thinks that they are right. They think that what is in their purview to do, what they're seeing, how they're acting is right. But until they have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, they don't realize that what they were doing, what they were doing that they thought had a righteous calling to do was actually wrong in the sight of God. And so I'm not going to be able to read all of these scriptures. So it's going to be some work for you this week to actually go and study for yourself. So this first example is Paul, who was initially in this teaching is going to be called Saul, but his name is going to change. And we're not going to talk about when he has the first encounter on the Damascus road. We're going to be after he's had that encounter and when he loses his vision, but Acts chapter nine, verses seven through 19, it says the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, 
he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. So I want you to understand, Paul could see he, before meeting Christ, was harassing the Christians, the, the, the actual children of the way, the followers of Christ. When he encountered Christ, his vision that he had in his normal sight, he could not see for three days. In that time, he was in prayer and fasting. Another disciple, Ananias, has the ability to see. But God speaks to him in a vision so that he can have an understanding of what the Lord is about to do with a man that he's only heard about and not encountered physically. So Ananias, who thinks he knows, that's why God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your understanding. You're going to see the next few scriptures that Ananias thinks he has an understanding of who he knows Saul to be. But Christ, through his vision and the interaction with Ananias, is going to say, I need you to step out in faith and trust me. I'm about to do a work with the man that you've heard about. You may have even seen some of the torture and some of the things he's doing, but I have a plan for this man. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, we're not going to focus on that because it's about two kings in a cave. I want you to appreciate the sight that Saul did not have when he had his natural sight before meeting Christ. He was in a un believing posture. He didn't believe in Christ. He was against Christ. There are people that are in the sound of my voice that do not believe in Christ. They have to have that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ so that their heart will be open. The Holy Spirit will come upon them. So the scales that are on their spiritual eyes, their heart eyes, their soul's eyes will fall off and they'll have a relationship with Christ. Because in the actual teaching that I'm going to start from now on, these people and examples have had a relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean that they stay in that relationship, but they have an awareness to the Lord. Some will backslide. Some will stay faithful. In the case of the first example now is Joseph. And you say, Joseph never went blind. Everybody that has vision cannot always see spiritually what's happening. So I want you to have, don't just get so legalistic and so narrow to say, I'm only talking about 
physical blindness. There are times in our Christian walk that we can physically see eyeballs are working, vision sockets are working, acuity is working, but we do not see and understand and appreciate what God is doing and what's unfolding in the supernatural. But in this case, we're going to go to Genesis 37 and we're going to be in lots of scripture from Genesis 37 up to Genesis uh, 50. So I'm just going to call them out quickly. We're going to talk about Joseph, Joseph very quickly in Joseph 30, Genesis 37, six, he talks about his dream. The dream is what he's had in his night vision at night. And he dreams about a futuristic thing that God is showing him is going to happen. But in the vision of this dream, He doesn't see all that's going to unfold. So sometimes I want you to understand that even though God's favor is there, doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. Even though God will give you a vision and understanding of some things that he plans for you, doesn't mean that they're not going to be some tough times in your life, but you have to have the faith to hope for things that with the evidence is unseen. So here in Genesis 37, six, it says, please hear this dream, which I've dreamed. We're going to jump to 37 verses 23 through 24. What he didn't see before we get to the 37 verses 23 to 24 is that in him talking about things, about his dream, in him having that ornate coat of many colors, he wasn't appreciating the dysfunction and the hatred and the envy and the bitterness of the brothers that he had around him. And that even though he thought he was going to have this magnificent dream unfold, He was so unaware that he needed to be humble. He had to understand that, yes, the Lord had seen and shown him something, but even around him, he was causing animosity with his own brothers. So when you get to verse 23 and 24, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw it into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. I want you to think about this. The brothers that he had known all of his life hated him to the point that when they saw him coming, there's this dreamer. Read the scriptures for yourself, all of 37. And they were willing to kill him. Talked about it. Threw him in the, what we call a pit or the cistern. In there, that thing is so deep, empty, no water. And you got to appreciate that over time, because they start to eat, don't feed him, that he's wondering, he's thinking, he doesn't see what's ahead of him. You don't even know in the cistern, in the pit, could he even see it all? Was it so dark he couldn't even visually see? But he did not understand what was going to unfold because these brothers had taken him and taken his coat and thrown him down. Didn't care about how he was doing. Was he hurt when he fell? Was he thirsty? Was he hungry? Things were changing and he didn't know what to see. So when you see him go from the pit to Portifar's house, to the prison, all of these things speak that things are happening and unfolding. But then you get to chapter 50. I'm not reading all of Joseph's story because I'm going to the cave that they're going to be two Kings. And I want you to have appreciation and building up to see that people go through their lives and things happen where they cannot see what God is doing, but they have to have faith. Now, Joseph, all this time from the pit to the palace had to still hold on to some inkling of faith that what he saw in that vision, that dream was going to come to pass. Even though while he's in that pit, 
when he's falsely accused of rape, when he's in prison, all that time unfolding, all that lack of seeing what he'd hoped for would look pretty good in the beginning in the dream. Didn't look really good, but you didn't see him complain. And we have to believe that he had faith in God, even though he couldn't see it. But after it unfolds, what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, shares something that all of us as Christian believers have to understand. Here he says, meaning to his brothers, you intended to harm me. There are things in your life that hurt. People do evil to you. Satan has a whole purpose to steal, kill, and destroy. Even people that you love, that you think you could have trusted, friends that you thought should have been in your corner, things unfolding. They may mean it for harm, but God can even use the things that are happening in your life to be a blessing, to be in your favor, even as you're suffering. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are weak for whatever the reasons are, but trust God, hope in the Lord, put your faith in him, not in your abilities, not in your talents, not in your intellect, not in how you think you can figure it out. Trust God, because just like Joseph said, so that many lives can be saved, I take you to Matthew chapter 28, when he says to go, he says he wants us to go in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything. Guess what? In your struggles, in the things that you're suffering through, in the times that you've been pained and hurt and, and just overwhelmed in your life. You have a testimony to know that you can teach others to trust and obey everything that God teaches us in the word. Have a faith in him, even though what you hope for, you didn't have the evidence of seeing it yet. But you will be able to talk to them and teach them to obey everything. He's commanded. Talk about I have commanded. That's Jesus Christ. I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now we're ready to talk about these two Kings in a cave before I get to the two Kings in a cave. You know, I wouldn't get that fast and easy this early in the teaching. I got to show you how the Lord anointed both of these Kings, but one King found himself always relying upon his own thinking knowledge and disobeying God's word disobeying God's command, disobeying God's instruction through his servant, Samuel. Each of them had in their lifetime, Samuel, the priest, but one of them chose to always do his own thing. And I want you to have the setup for this. The nation of Israel saw all of the other nations and they had Kings and they didn't have King. They had God and they had God's seers who were the priests and, and prophets at that time. And they decided amongst themselves they couldn't see God. They couldn't be like the others. And they got to the position they were telling the man of God, we want our own king like the others. And God let them have it. But God told them in, the, as you read the scriptures, this king, these kings that they want for themselves, because they don't want me to lead them. They want a man they can see lead them is going to cause all this kind of trouble because a man all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the more power people give, 
people get corrupted. But in this case here, we're going to go to Saul. Saul was anointed. Yes, he was. God chose him. God told Samuel who he chose, but he didn't want to wait. He wanted to do his own thing. And you got to be careful as Christian believers, those who think that they know better than God, you have to wait on God. I say this to myself, Anita. I probably listen to the Milkshake Monday teachings five to 10 times more than you all because I listen for my own self. God gives it to me, but I have to take it in my own self. I teach and I listen and I learn from the Holy Spirit when I listen to the, what he's taught me. So Saul found that he was anointed. He didn't wait. He disobeyed, he kept disobeying to the point that the spirit left him and God had another man anointed. And in this cave, you're going to find King Saul. So let me give you the scriptures. First Samuel nine verses five through 27. We won't read them all, but here's the, you can read them on your own time. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel about this time tomorrow. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight, sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me. Now, there's this whole ruse about what's going to happen. Samuel doesn't immediately tell him that he's going to be the anointed king. So you have Saul who's looking for goats. And then basically you're going to say, you're going to read this. But let's jump down to verse 21. Saul answered, but I'm not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is this not my clan, the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited. About 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here it is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you this occasion for the time I said, I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place of the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together and they were going down to the edge of the town. Samuel said to Saul, tell the servants to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so, but you stay here for, for a while so that I may give you a message from God. And that message was to tell him he's going to be the anointed one. I have a two-year-old, excuse me. Give me anyway, production issues. Anyway, Saul is anointed to be king. And, and the message from the Lord was that he was going to be anointed king. So here's the anointing of King David. King David, I want you to know that he was anointed. He had to wait and he did wait because he found himself on the run for his life. He had to trust God that what God had done 
in what you're going to see first Samuel 16, that he had to run for his life, but he had to trust God. He had to hope that what God had done through his servant, Samuel, that was going to come to pass and that he just had to wait for the evidence of things that were unseen. So I'm going to read quickly this portion about the anointing where God says in this teaching, man looks at the outward appearance and stature, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then the brothers all are passed by to decline. And then Jesse has to get his youngest son. So this is the scene that we come in first Samuel 16 verses 12 through 13. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. I want to emphasize that his brothers saw that his, their little brother got anointed to be king. That's why I share with you that there are people that may see you receive the favor of God, the blessings of God, and they won't like it. They see what you are receiving from the hand of the Lord. They may not understand why, because you've been entrusted with it. But at the same time, they're seeing in this passage of scripture that in the presence of his brothers and his father, David's been anointed. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. If you read the scriptures about Saul, the spirit of the Lord departed because of Saul's continued disobedience. It left him. And he was tormented. And it says, Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, I want you to remember the part about Joseph. Joseph's brothers resented their brother Joseph and stripped off the coat, threw him in the cistern. And then you see how the story unfolded. When you start to read more about the story of David, after you get past this passage of the anointing, he goes and before he goes to Goliath, there's this interchange between him and his brothers, older brothers. Again, resentment. So now it's time for us to have two kings in a cave. Jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I'm reading out of the NIV version where we're going to talk about David. We're going to have two kings in the cave. The two kings that were anointed by God, both of them having situations where they have had to wait and one chose not to wait. And that was Saul, King Saul. But then you have the situation where David has to wait for the actual anointing that God speaks to him about him being the anointed king of Israel. So here we are in chapter 24. And then we're going to start at verse one. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert in Engedi. So Saul took 300 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look. I want y'all to see, we're going to see all kinds of visual things, right? So I want you to keep in mind to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. He had to go to the bathroom. Similar to the girl. Don't rush the process. David and his men were far back in the cave. They, he couldn't see that he was in danger. Even though he had physical eyes, he went into the very cave where David and his men and those people who were indebted and distressed had found themselves to come and congregate with David in that cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands 
for you to deal with him with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed. He's not seen by King Saul and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken. He'd done an act, but he knew that that was not the right thing to do. So he was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. He's recognizing Saul had been anointed or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord. When we want to jump out and make things happen, we try to take things into our own hand. But even David's cutting off of the part of the robe, he felt he was out of line because if the Lord is trusted to fight our battles. He fights the whole battle. We don't get a piece of it. And then we stop this little puppy tonight. I'm going to have to cast him out now, but we don't let things get be taken into our own hands for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. Now, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. My Lord, the King, when Saul looked behind him, he looked behind him, saints. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? The day, this day you have seen with your own eyes, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes from evil doers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you against whom has the Lord has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Now, when we get to this part, when Saul starts to speak, Saul will say some things as though he sees, but Saul is one that sees for just a moment. Just like those who will come to you and say, oh, I forgive me for what I did to you. But that's why you have to wait for the fruits of repentance because people will talk a good game and you think their eyes have been opened by the Lord. But Saul has a way of his eyes are open for but a moment. He relents for but a moment. And then he goes back into that because the Lord's spirit had lifted off of him and Satan had a way of allowing him to receive. And then he goes back to his own devices, his own way of thinking, his own belief systems, his own, I will be the most high in my own mind and I'll do what I want. But in part of what we're getting ready to read, he does recognize that no matter what he thinks he's going to do, God has anointed him because God just delivered him into the very cave of all the caves of all the places. 
he went to the cave where David and all of his men were waiting in the back. And he realized that the hand of the Lord was upon David and he would realize what God had said and planned for him. Verse, we're going to start at verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. He was right about that. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? David never thought of Saul as his enemy. Saul thought of David as his enemy. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king. This is the truth that is realized in the future. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. He's spiritually seeing what he refused to admit to himself and still won't admit long term. He still wants Jonathan on the throne. But he says in this moment of humility, of weeping, of realizing David could have killed him, soft spot of knowledge, he says, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold because they knew they could not trust. They could not trust. They could not trust Saul. So I wanted you to see that. Now I want to also now go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. I, I came here because blind faith means that there are going to be times in my life and your life where the Lord is going to ask you and I to believe him, to believe his word, to believe and trust, even though what we see that's why that scripture, lean not to your own understanding. Saul, that's all he did was lean to his own understanding. Even Saul, the King Saul that we see here in first Samuel leaned to his own understanding. The Saul that we see was a different Saul in Acts nine, his understanding, even though he was brilliant, he was taught by Gamaliel. He had an understanding as a Pharisee, but he was wrong. And it was only until the Lord encountered him on the Damascus road that he realized he was serving the wrong person. He was serving himself. He needed to serve Christ. And in that time where we see that fasting for three days, where he was physically blinded, he had to tune out everything in the natural that he thought he knew. And he had to listen to God and he had to understand that he had to have a trust. And when we had the teaching this past Sunday, where Pastor Watts spoke about Second Corinthians chapter one, and we had to go to another passage in the Corinthians story to actually learn all the things that happened to Paul because Christ said he must suffer much for his name. Paul had to hold on to the hope and the trust of what God had told him, not only in those three days, but all through those journeys that he went through in the New Testament. And even though the evidence of what was unseen, he had to hold on to faith. And that's why you see here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, but 
without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's why Christ tells us that in order for us, in order for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we must deny ourselves. We must deny what we see. We must deny our own intellect in times where we think we're smarter than God. God says, go left. Intellect says, go right. We have to have the faith that even though we think we know what's best, we have to trust God has seen. God knows. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. And he knows what he has in store for my life and your life. And I say this because as I go through these times in this season of my life and this new journey with four does, with now being a widow, all these things that are happening in my life, I have to trust that the things that I hope for, the desires of my heart, which is ultimately what we learn, all of us learn, we want to be found when we see the father and we see the son seated at the right hand of God, the father himself, that he will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But see, faithfulness requires that we have blind faith sometimes for the things that are not seen. But we have to hope that what God's promises are, his truth are, that we will just continue. And just like David went through that season of running for his life, you saw what he said to Saul, he was running for his life, even though he was anointed that he was going to be king, that God had a purpose and a plan. Like Joseph, they had a dream. God has these things that he may reveal to us, but it's in his own time and we have to trust him. And even in the midst of things that are happening and unfolding, there's suffering, there's uncertainty. There's things that you could actually say, God, what's going on? I'm in the cistern. I've been falsely accused. I'm in prison. In David's case, he was in a cave. He was running for his life. In your life, your kids aren't working out. Your, your marriage may not be working out. You're not having success in the areas of your finances or your job or, or the relationships or your mental health or things could be happening and unfolding and you're wondering, God, what's going on? You have to trust him. Just like the two kings in a cave, one of them trusted himself and it didn't end well. One of them trusted God and he's known even today as a man after God's own heart. Wasn't perfect. He had his own issues. He sinned, but he repented like we do. We sin, we fall short, but we have to repent and we have to trust God. And if we want to please him, he says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. And we want to have that faith. We want to have that knowingness that we can trust our Lord. So I wanted to end sharing with you again, have faith. Even what you can't see, have faith. I want you all to be reminded about the memorial of William Dallas Helms homeless event this upcoming Saturday, October 29th, 2022 at Reston Community Center, Hunter's Woods, 2310 Colts Neck Road. And we will be there in the main area. If you have a need, God can provide it. And I can tell you people have been sharing cup has been running over with people sharing. I thank you all for sharing. And I ask for those of you who cannot come, we ask for your intercession. 
Pray that the Lord's will be done that day for people to come, not only get their needs met, but they may need Christ, who is the ultimate provider of salvation. And we all need salvation. And for those of you who want to have advanced information about some, some of our programs, some of the things that are videotaped for when I go out and speak that I don't necessarily always put up on YouTube or Facebook, I would like for you to subscribe by going to www fordoseproduction.org and also thank you for those of you who have been subscribing on my YouTube channel for Fordos. Thank you very much and I want y'all to share, you know. People need to know the Lord and if you feel uncomfortable about talking to them, share the links. Share the Facebook teachings. If you know somebody is depressed or lonely or sad or don't know about the Lord or wish they could they say, I, I wish I understood things like you. If you don't feel comfortable to share, just send them a video. I, I only see maybe four or five of you sending and sharing the different videos. Anybody can share a video, hit the button, share and share it. You can go to YouTube, share it. You can download it. If you want to share the gospel and you don't feel like you can, there are so many people on these different platforms. Share the message of God to the people that you love and to strangers. If God puts them in your path, it's for them to get to know Christ and get to be prayed for and get for you to give a testimony. So I know it's been a great milkshake tonight for me. I'm going to love listening to this teaching and I thank you. And I remind you again, the harvest is plenteous. It's ripe, but the laborers are few. I pray that all of us pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers and we are part of that labor force. I love you and God bless you. Lord willing, I'll see you next week. God bless.